There's nothing like a warm, soothing cup of Bigelow tea. Sleep better, live stress-free, and stay well all year long with Bigelow Benefits, a collection of everyday wellness teas made from good-for-you ingredients. Each tea contains a unique blend of beneficial herbs that taste uncommonly delicious. Available at your local grocer, Amazon, or BigelowTea.com. Bigelow Benefits, redefining wellness every day. Hi, I'm Lisa Davis. So glad you're listening to Health Power. If you've heard the show before, you've heard me talk about my mother. She died of ovarian cancer at age 57. And prior to that, uh, she always had knee issues. And when I was a little girl, when I was around four, she had knee surgeries, which they, my mom and dad referred to as botched knee surgeries. And, and for my entire childhood, she was in chronic pain. She had to ice her knees all the time. She couldn't do all the things that you want to do with your mother. And then at 13, she went on a cruise to Alaska. When she came home, she was covered head to toe in rashes. And all of a sudden, everything she ate made her sick. She was always a very thin woman, but she went from, she was five, six. She went from about a hundred and, I don't know, 10, 15 pounds down to 85. And nobody could figure out what was going on. This was in the eighties. And then she got ovarian cancer and died in 95. So the whole thing is tragic. So I just read this amazing book called, Why Are You Still Sick? Infections That Trigger Autoimmunity and What You Can Do About It. And my heart broke for her, but then my heart was full of hope for all the people that are getting help. And joining us now is the author of this fantastic book, which I highly recommend. Gary Kaplan-Dio is a founder and medical director of the Kaplan Center for Integrative Medicine and author of Total Recovery, a revolutionary new approach to breaking the cycle of pain and depression. A pioneer and leader in the field of integrative medicine, Dr. Kaplan is one of only 19 physicians in the country to be board certified in both family medicine and pain medicine. Dr. Kaplan is here to talk about his latest book, why You Are Still Sick, How Infections Can Break Your Immune System, and How You Can Recover. Dr. Gary Kaplan, welcome to Health Power. Lisa, thank you for having me on the show. I'm delighted to be here. And I that story about your mother is so heartbreaking. I'm so sorry for you. Thank you. Let's talk about immunity in general. And then I want to get into, into autoimmunity. And then I was so fascinated by these missed infections that just cause chaos. All of the above. So uh, let's talk about the immune system first because it's a big place and let's let's break it down to kind of immune 101. Two big places. There's the innate immune system. This is your first responders. You get sick, you skin your knee, something happens. Immediately these guys rush to the scene and uh, start to repair uh, or start to actually clean up the process. Think of it that you're going to renovate your home because there's been water damage. And your living room is what's been damaged. And these are the guys who come in and they tear out all the damaged wallboards. They tear up the floor. And then their job is to call in the general contractor so that everything else gets fixed. Except if they get a little bit drunk, a little bit rambunctious, they look at your dining room and they go, oh, let's fix that. And so it starts tearing up the dining room. And they haven't called in the general contractors yet. And then they look at your kitchen and you go, oh, well, let's go fix that. And then they start tearing up your kitchen. So the next thing you know, you've got your whole floor of your house getting torn up. Well, now imagine that's your brain. So there's a problem where you've got different parts, you've got inflammation going on all over the place. So that's the innate immune system. The acquired immune system is this business of building antibodies. So they build very specific uh, armies to attack uh, infections that come into our system. COVID, we're all unfortunately well familiar with. But so COVID comes in and the purpose of the immunizations is to give us antibody protection against the virus. So if the virus comes into the system, it fights it off, and at least we won't get horribly or deathly ill uh, from the disease. Uh, and we're well familiar with vaccines, right? Mumps, measles, chickenpox, theory, we've been doing this for years. So uh, this business of the, of the acquired immune system, which is the antibodies, and the innate immune system, which is a lot of different things. It's white cells and it's eosinophils, but it's also in the brain, it's a very specific uh, type of cells called a, uh, microglia. Uh, it's also astrocytes and, and mast cells in the brain as well. Those are the only three, but the microglia is the main plague. So 
let me back up a little bit how we got into this because many years ago uh, we started wondering why we were seeing this flip back and forth between depression and pain. I'm a chronic pain specialist. I'm also a family physician. Uh, and we started wondering what this flip was back and forth between pain and depression, pain and depression, which was a massive overlap. And so I was fortunate enough to be able to work with a, a study group out of uh, NIH, uh, colleagues from Georgetown, and we started saying, okay, what's going on here? And the answer to the question ultimately was neuroinflammation, and inflammation is a lot of different things in the body. But in this particular case, it was the innate immune system that we were looking at. And what we were finding was that brains were on fire, that basically brains were inflamed because of there was a whole variety of things that we were looking at at that time. And anything that damages cells sets off an inflammatory reaction in the body because that's how you repair, and we need that to happen. So problems such as not getting proper sleep, problems such as sleep apnea, where you lose oxygen to your brain during that, happens about 5% of the population, and 85% of those people don't know they have it. Okay, And I'm intimately familiar with that because I have it. Uh, and I won't go anywhere without my CPAP because it's been life-saving for me. It'll take 10 years off your life. But toxins from different foods, uh, heavy metals. Uh, I had a 14-year-old girl in the office uh, several months back. The only thing she would eat is tuna fish. Tuna fish sandwiches for lunch every day. Well, the FDA says you've got no business eating tuna fish every single day uh, because if you're pregnant, it may hurt the fetus. Well, what about the rest of us? <laughs> And the fact is, the mercury content is so high that she had mercury toxicity from eating tuna fish sandwiches every day. Oh my goodness. So, we think we're doing right, and in fact, it turns out, we're not doing so right. Because we've soiled our nest. We have problems with gluten, okay? About 1% of the population has true celiac disease. But, about 6 to 18% of people have intolerance. So, this is intolerance to wheat. Okay, and why is that? Well, we make these things called GMOs. We make plants that are resistant to uh, pesticides and herbicides, and what they do is the plants don't get affected by it, but they take up the pesticides and the herbicides. And now what happens is they move from the field into your Cheerios. So we find lots of people who have sensitivity to gluten actually don't have sensitivity to gluten. They probably have sensitivity to glyphosates, the herbicides that we're using. How do I, how do I come to that conclusion? Well, if you go to Europe and you go to France, uh, they don't allow for GMOs and they don't allow for the glyphosates. So my patients, my wife, are able to eat the croissants and the baguettes without any problem because they're not filled with those same chemicals. So, and these things weaken our immune system. Right. And aside from damaging, they also inflame our brains. So we've got this problem going on where we're also seeing mold toxins where there's been water damage to the building. Uh, and now mold toxins are growing. And I would say a good 60, 75% of my patients have mold toxicity. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's a huge number. And so these are things sitting in the background chronic, chronically making us sick. And... The other thing that we have to pay attention to is child abuse. Yes, absolutely. The last two months, ACE, ACEs have been coming up again and again. And I am so glad because trauma is an epidemic and we need to flip and talk about it. Okay, doctor, back to you. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're absolutely correct. And what happens, you know, childhood trauma, it's not just psychological trauma. It has massive impacts on our health. 15% higher risk of developing an autoimmune disease, 25% risk of, high, of developing heart disease, 25% higher risk of developing diabetes and obesity. These, you know, this business of separating mind and body was a construct developed by Descartes. It was a deal with the church to allow medical science to advance. But the reality of the matter is there is no separation between mind and body. And that what happens is our thoughts have e extreme effects on our health. And if we're in an abusive environment or we've been subjected to high trauma events, war being the most classic, 
I mean, look at the suicide rate of the veterans who came back from Afghanistan. The suicide rate of the veterans who came back from Afghanistan is three times that of the number of, of soldiers who died in Afghanistan from the United States. Right? You cannot continuously subject people to this level of stress and expect it not to have any impact on them. And then there's another problem with trauma, and that happens to be my profession. So in people who have been chronically ill and chronically disabled, especially with conditions such as chronic fatigue syndrome or chronic pain syndromes or post-treatment or po chronic Lyme, uh, and in kids with this pans panders pediatric acute onset neuropsychiatric syndrome, uh, and what happens in chronic depression and chronic uh, obsessive compulsive disorder and anxiety disorders, what happens way too many times is my profession dismisses people. And one of the big traumas that has gone that I see continuously in my crew is that. They have not been seen, heard, or respected. Quite the opposite. And uh, I can tell you a, a quick story about a young woman uh, that I saw in the office uh, some time ago. She came in, uh, when 10 years old, she starts developing obsessive compulsive disorder. Off to the psychiatrist. They're putting her on different medications, nothing is quite working. And then she develops uh, a problem where she's passing out be crazy. Well, she's not crazy. What's going on is her heart rate's firing up because now she's developed a condition called postural orthostatic tachycardic syndrome. And this is a, a problem with the uh, acquire, uh, of the uh, immune system, uh, wrong, the nervous system being able to balance the sympathetic and parasympathetic systems, the auto automatic nervous system. Uh, and for some reason in her, it's now not functioning properly and her heart rate's firing up because her blood vessels aren't constricting properly to keep the blood going to her brain. So first she's told she's crazy again. And then eventually the cardiologists go, well, okay, maybe you got POTS. So they start treating her for POTS. Now we've got two things going on in this young lady, and no one's sitting there going, well, what else is going on? And she loses efficacy with the uh, some of the antidepressants. Then they put her back on another set of antidepressants, and she becomes uh, suicidal cutting behavior, they hospitalize her. Okay, now, this is a this is a teenager at this point, okay? She's been labeled a crazy kid, right? So what do you think that's done for her self-esteem? What do you think that's done for her value, her self-worth? All right? All this time, she's being told she's crazy. She gets out, she's doing better for a period of time, and then they bring her to me because I'm a neuroinflammatory guy. And... I go to look at her and I start putting together this picture because she's also got digestive issues along with the POTS, along with uh, the depressive issues and everything else. And what she has and has had is chronic Lyme. Nobody diagnosed Lyme on her. She also had mold toxicity. So all this time she's been told she's been crazy when in fact she's not crazy in the least. She's very, very sick. It's so awful. I recently met a woman. She was telling me about her son, and I, I bet she's read your book. And if not, I'm going to get it for her. She was telling me that he what, got super sick in every single way, and they all said he was crazy, and he couldn't move. Like, everything was deteriorating. And then finally, he found a doctor like you, and is like, your son has Lyme. That's been there forever. And it's just so interesting because she filled me in on everything. And then when I was reading your book, I was like, oh, my gosh, this is what she was telling me. And I don't think most people know about it. So could you give us some detail about what the flip is going on with Lyme and why it's not being caught or how it's causing such havoc? Well, a couple of things. One is I want to I want to be clear that it's not just Lyme. Lyme is sure. certainly a big problem. Okay. But you can see it in strep. You can see it in uh, other infections called mycoplasma pneumonia. You can see it with chronic Epstein-Barr mono. Uh, so there's a lot of other infections can do this, and then we have long-haul COVID. So there's another example of a virus which can break your immune system and cause you to end up with chronic disease. So what's happening with Lyme in particular is, uh, is basically there's huge debates about what the proper diagnosis, how to properly test for and diagnose Lyme disease. There's a lot of us, and I, I'm an ILADS member, I'm a Lyme literate physician, uh, and so I have a different set of diagnostic criteria than the conventional uh, 
infectious disease people are willing to accept. Uh, they think I'm wrong. I think they're wrong. And I think as the research data continues to roll in, uh, increasingly they're showing we're right. So uh, a lot of the testing for Lyme is really insensitive and inappropriate. A lot of the standards that the CDC set were set back in the 90s and haven't properly updated. And so uh, we have a couple of labs that we rely on in order to give us good information. But we also have, it's a clinical diagnosis aside from anything else. For instance, if you're having joint pain that moves around your body, okay, not a lot of things do that other than Lyme disease. And so if you're sick and you're running fevers and you're generalized malaise, chronic fatigue, what's going on is your brain is inflamed. And, and this is the other thing that's complicating is 80% of people who get Lyme disease, we treat them with antibiotics, they get better, they're done. What's with the other 20%? Because they're horribly sick and they're horribly disabled. Can I guess? Uh, please. I'm, I'm guessing it's the four things we talked about, right? The trauma... Right toxins all that all that stuff sitting in the background and then now there's also in the catch with tick-borne diseases Lyme is the headliner but the reality of the matter is there are other bugs all right there's Bartonella there's uh, Ehrlichia and a plasma so there's a whole list of, of, of Lyme of tick-borne diseases but there's also the other challenge is so Borrelia burgdorferi is the family name or Bergdorfi is a, uh, a subtype of it, but there's Miyamoto. There's a whole series of different types of Borrelia diseases or, and, or Bartonella diseases. And so what you have to do is it's if you've got one of the other ones, it may not show up the same way as if you've only tested for Borrelia Bergdorfi, even though it may cause the same disease. Right. So you have to understand the level of complexity of this thing. The other thing is Lyme is pretty good at hiding. Lyme sabotages the immune system so it can survive. Lyme can hide in biofilms. And so the challenge with Lyme disease is A, make sure you killed the bug. B, make sure that you didn't miss other bugs. But the other big thing, and this is the thing that really the book talks a great deal about, is they damage, you end up with damage to the immune system. So when you have all of these things going on, what happens is, the immune system, the antibodies respond appropriately to the bug, but then they look around and they go, oh, you know what? Your brain looks a lot like that bug in terms of the signaling proteins. It says, well, I'm going to attack that too. So now what's happened is your brain's being inflamed because your brain's under assault from your own immune system. This is an autoimmune process. And the big news is that the occurrence of autoimmune disease is dramatically higher than we thought. So the, everybody knows about the classic autoimmune diseases of rheumatoid arthritis and Sjogren's, uh, mixed connective tissue diseases. There's, there's a number of them. But the reality of the matter is a high percentage of people who have chronic fatigue syndrome, who have a post-Lyme treatment syndrome, who pans pandas is by definition uh, an autoimmune disease. Uh, where the infection has started to attack the brains and kids, and you end up with these really bizarre behaviors. Yeah, a friend of mine's daughter went through that. She was perfectly fine one day and anxiety-ridden and just completely a mess the next. And luckily it was treated, but it started with strep. And for people who are like, wait, pan, pandas, what are you, what are you talking about? Tell us a little bit about that, and then get back to what you were talking about. So, well, this is all the same stuff, and this is what's so important. So Dr. Sueto back in the 90s, while she was at NIH, noted these kids developing these obsessive compulsive disorders after strep infection. And so she came up with the term uh, pediatric acute onset neuropsychiatric disorder because of strep, secondary to strep, pandas. Uh, and this was where, uh, because of the strep infection, again, the same problem. Antibodies were suddenly being made to the brain. And the next thing you know, these kids were going wacky doodles. Obsessive compulsive disorders was the classic presentation, but you had regressive behavior where these kids were suddenly behaving like they were three-year-olds again. You had periods of time where kids would literally become paralytic and stop walking. Okay? If you, that doesn't scare the bejesus out of a parent, nothing will. Okay? You have kids with these seizures, but we put them in the hospital and everything is normal. Okay? Because... We're observing them, they're having these seizure-like episodes, and thus the term pseudo-seizures became popular. And as a parent, 
You can only imagine how terrifying this is to see your kid like this. And they're increasingly less functional, they're increasingly disabled. And thank God for the work that uh, Dr. Sueto did in terms of laying this stuff out. Uh, and treatment, then, is not with anti-seizure medications, and it's not with antipsychotic medications, although there is a time where you can use the antidepressant medications and others as a bridge to get you, but antibiotics, because <laughs> you've got to kill the bug, and then you need to treat the immune system, and that we need to treat. There's a whole bunch of ways to treat that, but IVIG, intravenous immunoglobins, was uh, one of the first treatment uh, protocols for treating these kids, and lo and behold, they got better. Okay, so now, by virtue of having defined that, we started looking at that and going, well, wait a minute, we're seeing that certainly in pediatric population. And understand, by the way, that my definition of a kid is anyone younger than my oldest. My oldest is 38. Increasingly, I'm running a pediatric practice. <laughs> so, <laughs> but but uh, what I started seeing was it wasn't just the kids. It was happening in the adults also. And we started looking for these antibodies in the central nervous system. And lo and behold, they were there. And so now we had this whole process where we understood we had, it, we had to treat everything that was injuring the immune system to begin with, all these toxins, all these uh, food issues, sleep issues, uh, psychological issues that were there. They have to be addressed as part of a comprehensive program of rehab where we kill the bugs and then we need to fix the immune system. Because failure to fix the immune system is failure. And that leaves people chronically ill and chronically disabled. And we're now entering this whole, this is probably one of the most important discoveries of the 21st century. This business of chronic illness is a consequence of a chronically damaged immune system and the necessity to treat the immune system as part of everything else that we're doing. This is the message. So we held a conference in February with George Hemp, uh looking at uh, how all of this fits together, a lot of what the book was talking about, but the purpose... I've got, I got a three-pronged attack here, okay? Because there are 20 million people out there struggling with this in the United States alone, and there's several hundred million people worldwide. Right. And we're not treating them well, and worse is we're abusing them. So one prong is this book, so why you are still sick is about putting this information into people's hands. It's a step-by-step self-help book to understand what testing you can do, questions you should be asking, and also to be able to educate your own physician if they're willing to do so. Every physician needs to be reading this. I mean, we've well, got to switch you. the paradigm of them thinking, here's a pill, goodbye. That's absolutely correct. Right. And then sometimes, and like you said, I mean, if they need antibiotics, then, then that's what they're going to get. But then you build up their immune system. I mean, you just talked right. about the things that you need to do. And that's the problem with conventional medicine is they're not doing that. Right. And they're just, and, and I mean, with my mom, my God, imagine, I mean, this was in the 80s. Oh, you're fine. You're just hysterical. You're just this. And that's exactly what happens to all of these individuals because it is heartbreaking because they are very sick. And the other part of the problem here, unfortunately, is that it's a higher percentage of women who are getting this than men. Okay? And the problem here is women have always been treated as less than by the medical profession. And we didn't even have a center for properly doing research on women. We only did research on men prior to the 90s. And it wasn't until the 90s that we started actually making sure we included women in randomized controlled trials. This is criminal. And so, and this business of autoimmune disease as a woman's disease, and it's not, there are plenty of men who are also affected. But the reality of the matter is, uh, because of this, it's been discounted by a male predominant profession, my profession. And the expression now is gaslighting. Oh, no, you don't have brain fog. Oh, no, you don't have problems with focus and concentration. Oh, no, you're not so tired that you can't get out of bed in the morning. Uh, you're just faking. You're just, and it's just like, stop. Listen to the patient. Right. Look at what's going on and get a clear picture about what's happening and say, maybe the first thing we have to say is, I'm not sure what's going on here. Yeah. And then we have to start looking more deeply into what the problem is. And then we start finding things. As a very wise professor of mine once said, you only make two diagnoses. You make the diagnoses you make and the ones you think of. 
And if you don't think of it, and you don't ask and do the right test, you don't get the right answers. So that if a patient comes to you complaining of a urinary tract infection, and you do a blood count on them, and you say, well, your blood count's fine, you don't have anemia, that's lovely, but you didn't check the urine, <laughs> and didn't make the diagnosis of the infection. So we have to we have to expand our understanding of this, and this is where we take both the the integrative medicine, which is about utilizing other uh, therapeutics such as acupuncture, manual therapy, as part of our diagnostics and our treatment program, but also uh, using functional medicine. Where we're if you look at the gastrointestinal tract, right? and you just look at it, which is what we do with our scopes, the endoscopies and the colonoscopies, and you say, well, the anatomy looks good. That's fine, but that doesn't say whether or not it functions properly. Right. Right? So if you're constipated and bloating and having, you know, diarrhea and whatever the problems you're having, uh, chronic nausea, then if the anatomy looks fine, then maybe we need to look a little bit further. And we need to do a lot of testing that conventional medicine isn't yet embracing in terms of studying the under, uh, our understanding of the gut micro, microbiome and how the what we're absorbing in terms of our nutrients. We're getting there, but we're just starting to get there. And functional medicine is actually way ahead on this. And so using functional medicine, it helps us understand in much greater depth how your body is functioning, what's going on. So again, we don't ask the right questions. We don't get the right answers. And the end result is you stay sick. Just in thinking about my mom, when she went on that cruise to Alaska, now I'm thinking... I'm trying to play detective. Like, I forgot where they went in Alaska, but they got off the ship. Could she have gotten bitten by, you know, did she get a tick? Did she get, or could it just be that she had severe childhood trauma that she never dealt with you know, on top of all, an already chronic pain situation? And could it just have all caught up with her? Have you seen that in people? I mean, it's not like you have to have a tick bite in order to, for these things to happen clearly, right? So talk to me about that. I would just love your thoughts on this. Youth is a lovely thing because we have phenomenal resilience built into our system. We have the capacity to uh, to compensate for things. And I'm always amazed at how sick some of my kids are when they come in looking at their testing and the fact that they're still up and functioning. Um, which, unfortunately, if you don't treat it, it doesn't last because I also see them not treated and then over time progressively losing ground. Uh, and by the time you're in your 20s, all of a sudden, where you were able to do, you know, you were a superstar in school, you were doing great, now you're in your 20s, you're at work, and the next thing you know, you can't quite keep up. Your brain fog, your focus, your concentration's off, you get tired all the time, you're not sleeping well. And now we're going progressively downhill to, of course, unfortunately, in many cases, of disability. So what happened to your mom is there's a lot of things we can hypothesize. She could have gotten a mosquito-borne disease while she was in Alaska. She could have gotten uh, a tick-borne disease while she was in Alaska. She could have been exposed to food poisoning. There are any of a number of things that could have happened while she was there. Uh, and you're right, which you look at as you're playing a game of Jenga, where you keep pulling out the blocks until the whole thing falls apart. And from the sounds of it, look, and the other challenge, of course, is, look, we keep learning. And what we knew, I wish I knew what I knew 30, what I know now 30 years ago. Uh, and so in medicine, we actually live in a pretty exciting time. As horrible as COVID has been, it's really pushed the fields of immunology forward dramatically as it has the fields of virology. And I have to tell you something. Cancer is going to be a thing of the past probably in the next 10 years. Wow. We are on the verge of being able to do blood tests that will diagnose 25, 30 different cancers in the body just from a blood test, okay? Tell us early on whether or not you have that and then allow us to intervene much earlier and thus get much better results because you need a healthy functioning immune system. And you're exactly correct about what you said about your mom and ovarian cancer. You need a healthy functioning immune system in order to clear the cancer cells, which kind of happen all the time in our body, but the immune system goes, no, we're putting a stop to that and shuts that down. But if your immune system's not healthy, guess what? So we need to make sure that we're taking great care of our health at all times. And this book then is not just about how we get people who have been severely disabled and wounded uh, back to great health. 
It's also a message for the rest of us of how to stay healthy, how to make sure that we're in optimal health, what testing we should be doing to make sure that we're not just, you know, on paper looking good up to a point, but we've done the right test to make sure that we're not filled with toxins. So one of my dearest friends um, came to me and said, I want to be checked. I said, but you're fine. He said, no, I want to be checked. This was a number of years ago. And I, so we checked him. And guess what? He had heavy metal toxicity, right? He's eating fish all the time. Mercury toxicity. Uh, he had problems with mold toxicity. Uh, lives in a house that's very old and had had water damage. And so we started working through this stuff in order to move him back to optimal health. Vitamin D levels should be part of every single physical exam. Vitamin D levels, the norm is given at 30 nanograms per deciliter. Lovely, not correct. The norm should be 50 to 80 nanograms per deciliter for optimal health. Vitamin D is essential for a healthy immune system. We need to make sure we're getting good sleep. We need And good sleep. Good sleep is seven to eight hours a night. Okay? Sleep is a, is, a, is a problem if you're getting too little, and it's also a problem if you're getting too much. Now, what I just said is true for adults. It is not true for teenagers. Teenagers need nine and a half to nine and three quarters hours of sleep a night. And tell me exactly how many kids are doing that. Probably just mine, because <laughs> I'm really <laughs> well, strict good. about sleep. Excellent. Good. Sleep is kind of like one of the things that should be absolute. Done deal. And as Americans, we kind of sacrifice it all over the place. And I'm as guilty, if not more so, than everybody else. Because while I made sure my kids get sleep, sleep when my kids went to bed when they were younger, I was up writing and reading and doing stuff, and I'd be up till 2 in the morning oh my uh, doing goodness. my thing. And then back up at uh, 7 o'clock in the morning to get to work. And uh, and I lived like that for a long time. I can't. Don't, you don't even want to know what I did in undergrad. Um, <laughs> I was doing research in undergrad where I was at the medical center until 3 o'clock in the morning. And then we'd come back, sleep until about 8, uh, attend my classes, then go back to the medical center to go do research. And I lived like that for several months. I don't advise it. Right, I know. I don't I know. Watching cats sleep. <laughs> Why can't I be a cat? I want to sleep. Exactly. exactly. So, uh, but this business of getting proper sleep and adequate sleep. And by the way, if you're waking up and you're not refreshed, and if you're falling asleep during it, there's a thing called an Epworth scroll. E-P-W-O-R-T-H. Google it. It's easy to get a hold of. It takes you two minutes to fill it out. If you're scoring 10 or above on that, there's a chance you're asleep at me. Okay? Simple, easy, Epworth scale, if you wake up non-refreshed, if you're snoring heavily, if you're uh, having problems uh, staying awake, sitting in a theater or a public meeting place, if you're falling asleep after lunch without alcohol, if you're sitting at a stoplight and you start to doze off, or at a stop sign, you know, these are all signs that something isn't right and that needs to be checked. Sleep apnea is kind of low-hanging fruit and should be should be investigated because it's a big percentage of the population who have it. You've probably heard how important it is to take probiotics and trust me, you don't want to take just any. You want to take one that is backed by science and the probiotic that my family and I take is Omnibiotic. These are targeted probiotics. They've got a highly effective powder delivery mechanism. They're clinically tested health benefits. They're vegan and hypoallergenic, and they're a leading European product. Let's get them to be a leading product in America. Omnibiotics' unique powder delivery mechanism ensures that 83% of good bacteria reach the desired area of the gut, compared to an average of 7% in top U.S. probiotic capsule brands. So my family and I use Omnibiotic Stress Release. Now, this is a psychobiotic formulation designed to support the gut-brain axis. And what that means is that this is looking at at memory, cognition, improving your mood. And I'll just tell you, I saw an improvement in my mood and my daughter saw improvement in her mood and also a reduction in anxiety. And that is huge. When you can do something natural to help your brain, I love that. Not only is Omnibiotic incredible, you will get 15% off when you order through their website, www.omnibioticlife.com. 
lisadavis15.com. Just use the code lisadavis15. Check them out. Get Omnibiotic today. I'm telling you, it is a game changer. You want to go to www.omnibioticlife.com. That's O-M-N-I-B-I-O-T-I-C-L-I-F-E.com. This is so exciting. Wow. What are some of the other tests? You had mentioned that we got to get our vitamin D test. What what other things do we need to get tested? Obviously, check for sleep apnea. I think we should check for sleep apnea. We can check for the level of omega-3s in our body. Okay. So fish oil. Uh, and we want to make sure we're getting fish oil. Obviously, that's uh, has had the heavy metals removed because we've poisoned the nest. And so uh, we want to make sure that we're getting proper omega-3 levels. There needs to be some omega-6s, but they needs to be in balance. So that can be checked for. It's a simple laboratory test that can be done. We want to look at inflammatory factors in our body, a C-reactive protein or a sedimentation rate. They're nonspecific, but at least it's an easy test to do as part of a normal physical exam. Uh, and then in more elaborate testing, we can actually test for, uh, there's specific labs that will test for mold toxins in our system if we've been exposed to mold-damaged uh, buildings. And it's not everybody, because it's a percentage of the population, probably about 15%, that don't make the enzymes necessary to get rid of the toxins. So you can be living in the same house as your spouse, you not have any problems whatsoever, and your spouse is deathly ill. And so, because you process the toxins, you have the enzymes necessary to do so, they don't. So, looking at that kind of stuff. Looking at, if you're you know, we want to pay attention uh, for uh, celiac disease. Celiac disease, again, is a blood test that can be done. It's simple and straightforward. The most, so celiac disease is a genetic autoimmune disease that uh, leaves you very sick whenever you eat gluten. All right? How sick? And this is where you got to pay attention. I had a 17-year-old come into my office, suicidally depressed. He'd been hospitalized, uh, treated, uh, multiple antidepressants without any success. Again, they brought him to me because I'm a neuroinflammatory guy. And in working him up, I found out he had celiac disease. In 15% of celiacs, they will not present with gastrointestinal problems. They won't have bloating, they won't have gas, they won't have diarrhea. None of that problem is going to be there. But they will present with neurologic problems. They may have sensory loss. uh, And in his case, he had depression. And we simply took him off all gluten. We did work in order to seal his gut, clean up his gut. And a year's time later, he's 100%. No depression, off all medications, nothing. He's great. And I have seen him now over several years as a family physician, and he continues to do spectacular. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, Jennifer Esposito, who's an actress, uh, came out several years ago talking about her celiac and how dismissed she was because she didn't have the common symptoms, right, with the gastrointestinal, but everything else... And she's written a wonderful book and she's, she's done really great work on that. And I just, I'm a big fan. If you, you know, just, she's great. Just check her out. And she's a great actress too. I love her, but yeah, but it's just, again, just, and with, with the money, with the fame, you're still like, nope, you're just some crazy woman, you know? Right. Right. And this is a disgrace and part of the profession and it has to stop. And so one of the other things that we have to deal with, is PTSD that my profession has created in a lot of the patients we see. Because I see people who have been sick for years and have seen upwards of 25, 35 physicians uh, before I get to see them. And so they're very sick. They've been told they've been very crazy, and they've been dismissed by a large number of people. Uh, and they're horribly disabled. And, and being gaslighted by my profession, this has to stop. And so, writing this book, doing this conference that we did, which was attended by over 900 physicians and researchers, is about educating my profession, as well as educating the public about the, the presence of this stuff. And the other thing I want to do is, we have a, I have a research foundation, uh, and one of the things we want to do is a study looking at kids who are in uh, psychiatric hospitals and in the juvenile detention system. I want to find out how many of these kids are sick. Oh my and gosh, that we that are treating huge. these kids as criminals or as crazy, when in fact, that's not the case at all. What they are is very sick. And 
as a result, we're condemning them to years of disability. We're condemning them as pariahs in society. When in the reality of the matter is, we miss the diagnosis. What percentage of these kids? Well, that's why I want to do the study. But early studies suggest it's at least 25%, and it may be as high as 45%. Of well, I would think there'd be a lot of child abuse. I mean, whenever I see any kid acting out and, and really messed up, I think, what's going on at home? Well, unquestionably, that's a piece of the problem. If your brain is inflamed because of toxins, if your brain is inflamed because there's an autoimmune process that's attacking it, because you've got infections that haven't been identified, then there is no chance the therapy is going to work. Because you're sick, all right? If, you're, if you've got flu, okay, and you're laid up in bed with high fevers and chills, okay, my telling you to go down and exercise and take walks to get better is stupid. Yes. Right? Because you can't. If you've broken your leg, you're not going to be able to run a marathon until that heals. All right? So we have to fix the fundamental problems. We have to put out the fire in the brain in order for these kids to be able to have the resources, psychological resources, necessary to be able to do the work to be able to fully recover. Wow. See, that's huge. I have to wrap my mind around this. So if you have all these issues, even if you get therapy because your brain's inflamed, it's not... Wow. Not going to stick. It's not going to stick because your brain, your brain doesn't work. Your brain's inflamed. Your brain's injured. We've got to fix the brain. Okay? We've got to stop the immune system from attacking the brain. And once we do that, then you've got a shot at getting better. So it doesn't say therapy isn't important. It doesn't say, and by the way, most of the uh, selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors, medications, antidepressants, they're actually anti-inflammatories. Oh. That's what that's why they're anti inflammatory in the central nervous system. That's why they don't work three days after you give them. They take several weeks to be fully effective because what they're doing is down regulating the inflammation in the central nervous system. Because depression is an inflammatory disease in the brain. Lithium, low dose lithium is really an excellent anti inflammatory, and indeed bipolar disease is a neuroinflammatory disease in the central nervous system in the brain. So now what we have to do, if we say, okay, it's, it's inflammation, what does that mean? Why has it caused that? If you skin your knee and it gets infected, that inflammation is being caused by an infection in the skin. Antibiotics, lovely thing to use. If your eyes are all watery and your nose is running because you've been outside and you're allergic to pollen, well, that's inflammation also. But you don't need an antibiotic for that. Antihistamines will work for that. Immunotherapy will work for that in order to make you less sensitive. But you need to understand what the cause of the inflammation is in order to be able to quiet it down. And if the problem is your own immune system attacking your brain, you've got to fix the immune system. Yeah, you do. Well, you know, I got diagnosed with Hashimoto several years ago, but I don't have any of the symptoms. But yet I had a functional medicine doctor check, too, because I didn't trust the allopathic right. doctor. And he goes, yeah, yeah, I mean, your tests all indicate that you have it. So I take Armour Thyroid, and um, I, I don't know, but so now I'm thinking, Jesus, my brain inflamed, or I don't feel that bad, but I, I want to come and work with you because I'd, I'd like to heal, you know, and figure out what the hell's going on. I mean, I know I have past trauma. Right. I've done a lot of therapy around it. It uh, doesn't mean I'm all the way better. You know, I, I'm sure I have some of my mom's wacky genes. I don't know. I'd love to ask about that. Like, where does genetics play in this, you know? Um, oh, but anyway, so huge. do you work with Hashimoto's? And then I'd love to talk about the genetics. We do work with Hashimoto's. And again, I think you need to look at it as, well, in this particular case, you've got antibodies to your thyroid as opposed to necessarily your brain. And so why, why is that happening? And so, again, you're looking at the gut microbiome and the health of the gut. You're looking at whether or not there are toxin burdens in your system, okay, in terms of heavy metals, in terms of uh, mold. Yeah, I've never done that testing. I should. That, I would recommend doing that testing. Okay. Uh, and as you unburden yourself of this stuff, we should find that your immune system itself starts to quiet down. You know, the immune system is about keeping us safe. So at one point or another, why does it not feel, why does that piece of us not feel safe? And why does it get overreactive in terms of terms of starting to do damage where it should only be protecting. So getting 
looking at all of that stuff, I think, is extremely important. And the book talks about that and the kind of testing you can do. Uh, and so I want to put all that information in everybody's hands. Oh, you did an incredible job. I mean, really, I'm so impressed with this book. Tell Thank us the name of it again. The book is Why You Are Still Sick. And it's available on uh, Amazon. And I hope people will read it. I hope. Amazing. Uh, yeah. And we're not done yet. I just wanted you to throw it out there. You know what I'd love you to do before we get into genetics? you I don't know if you're on TikTok, but I follow a lot of women on TikTok who are chronically ill and dismissed and all the things. They need someone like you to give them some hope and some answers. I'm going to make definitely when the interview comes out in July, I'm going to make so many TikToks. And I'm going to say you have to, you know, this isn't about self-promotion for me. I mean, yes, I'd love you to go listen to Health Power. But this flipping man, Dr. Gary Kaplan, is like changing lives. And he agrees that the system is screwed when it comes to women and being dismissed and gaslighting. And I just think if you're not on TikTok, you should start your own account because you could help a lot of people. I reached a lot of people through TikTok. It's pretty, it's not just for like goofy dances, although I did that too, but, and I'm really bad at it, but <laughs> it, it really, no, it's, it's, it's astounding how many people are suffering. And that's why I felt so hopeful reading your book. So something to think about. Thank you. Yes. No, so we're actually trying to understand uh, how to use social media best so that we can get this word out more effectively. Yeah, you've got to. You would be such a godsend for so many people. So let's talk about this geneticness, because I feel like my mom, part of what happened with her is she got severe food. And I don't want to bore the audience. Everyone knows I have food sensitivities, but she got severe food sensitivities. I was fine until I was 25. I ate some, you know, corn tortillas, and I felt like I swallowed a box of nails. And then it became corn, wheat, dairy, soy. Now I'm, I'm, I'm not as sensitive as I, as I was. If I eat like sprouted corn tortillas, I don't even react. But if I ate them two to three days in a row, I'd, I'd get a headache or I'd be tired. So things like that, like, is that inherited? Is that the trauma? Is that undiagnosed mold sensitive? Like what's going on? So one of the things that tells me is your immune system is a little bit hyped up. Yes. And so uh, if you draw on your skin, do you get red lines? No. Okay. That's a thing called der dermographia. Okay. No, I don't have that. Good. Because otherwise you think, you start thinking about when you start seeing all these food sensitivities of a mast cell activation syndrome. And mast cell activation syndrome is another piece of the immune system. And what happens is the mast cells become overreactive. The main, the big thing that comes out of mast cells is histamine, which is why you start seeing all these allergic reactions. I do swell up when I get a bug bite and I itched to the degree where I literally will have scars on my legs because I can't take it. And even with the anti-itch creams and stuff, I, and I, okay, go on. So I have that hyper histamine thing. So mast cell activation syndrome sounds like a real possibility for you. And then that needs to get treated by layering of different antihistamines. Uh, such as using, uh, you know, non-sedating antihistamines, such as Claritin or Zyrtec, but also Pepsin. Pepsin is uh, is an antihistamine, so there's different, well, there are different types of histamine receptors, four of them to be precise, and so different antihistamines affect different uh, antihistamine receptors. Uh, H1 blockers and H2 blockers are the most common. Uh, there are other medications, such as ketotifin, which can have to be compounded, but that can be used to uh, quiet down the uh, mast cells and help with the relationship between the mast cells and the microglia, which are part of the innate system and the central nervous system. You can also use uh, supplements that have luteol in it. Uh, there's one uh, PEA, which I'm forgetting what it stands for, but uh, it's uh, these are supplements that help stabilize mast cells. And then using chromalin uh, in, uh, is another way of accomplishing that. I would... Pay attention then in terms of uh, looking at your gut. I would do a, a proper functional medicine workup of your gut and see what your gut microbiome looks like. Indeed, there's an easy way for you to do it. There's a company called Viome, V-I-O-M-E. I have no financial relationship with these guys, okay? So, uh, but what it does is it does a beautiful analysis of the gut microbiome and also tells you what foods you're sensitive to and which ones you can eliminate from your diet. So, uh, it's another way of cleaning things up. And usually when you have a large number of food sensitivities, you have a leaky gut. Right, yeah, I've been right. told that, yeah. So what's a leaky gut? A leaky gut is you, there's a thin membrane that's a set of cells that separate your bloodstream from the inside of your gut. The inside of your gut's the outside of you. 
okay? It's a tube that runs through you. And the purpose of that wall is to determine what's going to get in and what isn't. A huge number of uh, immune cells sitting in, in the gut wall. And so what has to happen is if these things called tight junctions, where the cells are really close together, if those, if the gut gets inflamed for any reason, uh, those cells will separate a little bit. Those tight junctions now allow large molecules to pass through that they should be keeping out. The body does not like large molecules, and it says that is an is an antigen, and I'm going to make an antibody against that. So the next thing you know, you're allergic to a whole bunch of things that you would not normally be allergic to if your gut were healthy. So you've got to go back and look at the gut microbiome. You've got to look at the health of the gut itself, uh, and then... Uh, figure out what you need to do to quiet it down in order to be able to seal the gut. And then a large number of those food sensitivities will probably go away. And that will start quieting down. So this business of the Hashimoto's, again, tells me that you're there's, there's layers. And this is why the histories, my intake histories are two hours. This is why you've got to sit down and get this whole picture about what's going on, because there's layers to this stuff. And if the gut's not healthy, the brain's not healthy, right? It's really that simple. If the gut's leaky, the blood-brain barrier is leaky. That's not an opinion. That's based on the scientific research. All right, so why on earth would we not be paying a lot of attention to the health of the gut microbiome? That should be part of our physical exams. That should be part of our testing. That should be, and unfortunately, that's a functional medicine uh, test, and most conventional docs don't know anything from doing that stuff. So they say, well, don't worry about it. We are getting a little bit better in looking for things like SIBO, uh, where there's uh, bacterial overgrowth in the small bowel, because most of the bacteria belongs not in the small bowel, but in the large intestine. Uh, and so we're coming around to that slowly but surely, but we have to be thinking about this in a much broader sense in order to be able to ask the right questions, get the right answers, and get you better. That's the whole objective here, right? So, so looking at your diet, figuring out what we need to do to quiet down the mast cells on you. And mast cell activation syndrome is a real problem unto itself because the mast cell secretes not just histamine, but a whole bunch of things, like 200 different substances. And so we can see, we have documented uh, in literature uh, everything from self-harming behavior to uh, chronic prostatitis to chronic pain syndromes, uh, pelvic floor pain, uh, dysfunction, weird things that you normally wouldn't think of in terms of mast cell activation syndrome, but in fact, uh, there's a decent literature on them saying, yeah, you have to think about mast cell as part of the problem here. So there are things that we can do about that, but I think you also need to back up. So I've got one patient I'm working with now who has severe mast cell activation syndrome, and many people have attempted to treat him for that. The problem is, he also has Lyme disease. He also has Bartonella. Okay? And my argument is, wait, 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 wait. We're not going to get the mast cell under control until we get the infections under control, because that's the immune system going haywire. So we got to get the infections under control first, and so now we're backing up and doing that. And indeed, as we've slowly but surely started to treat the infections, uh, the mast cell stuff is quieting down on him, and he's able to eat a wider range of food, and he's less reactive to odors and many other things. So um, we have to, you know, this business of I have brain fog, I have light sensitivity, I have sound sensitivity. These are all signs of an inflamed brain. Right? I'm having trouble sleeping. I'm sleeping too much. I'm not sleeping enough. I've never rested. Uh, these are symptoms of an inflamed brain. I have depression. I have anxiety disorders. These are symptoms of an inflamed brain. And so we need to step back and ask a much bigger question about why is the brain inflamed? What's going on and what can we do about it? And again, we get back to the step-by-step-by-step -step -step approach. You asked about genetics. Yes. And I want to make sure I answer that question for you. you. Big question, complicated question, much we're learning. It's changing literally day by day. But basically, one of the things we can reliably test genetically is uh, for drug in drug interactions and what you'll metabolize and what you won't metabolize. And so that we can look at on people. There are BRCA genes, 
okay? The BRCA genes in terms of risk for breast cancer and ovarian cancer are extremely important uh, to be looking at that if that's part of your family. Yeah, I luckily tested negative for that. Wonderful. Yeah. Good. But extremely important thing to be paying attention to. Now, Ehlers-Danlos. Ehlers-Danlos is grossly underdiagnosed and not understood. Ehlers-Danlos is a damage to the uh, connective tissue such that the most common way you see it is if you've ever seen a contortionist at the circus, they have Ehlers-Danlos. They can bend in all kinds of ways that the rest of us cannot. All right? About 85% of people, there's 13 subsets of Ehlers-Danlos. Okay? We know the genetics of 12 of those subsets. We don't know the genetics of one of those subsets. The one subset we don't know about is hypermobility, which is 85% of the people who have Ellos Danlos. Well, I interviewed a woman, by the way, Gigi Robinson. Check her out, but go on. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So Ellos Danlos is a very important diagnosis to make for a number of reasons. So again, you can go online and there's um, the Byton scale, uh, B-E-I-G-H-T-O-N scale, Byton scale. Uh, which you can check up online, but basically, can you bend your thumb and touch your wrist without it causing excruciating pain? I can't even go close. <laughs> uh, nor can I. But can I'm the opposite. Can you take your little finger and, while laying flat on the table, and bring it up to a ninety degree or better angle? Do your elbows hyperextend? Do your knees hyperextend? Can you put your hands flat on the floor without bending your knees? Okay. This is a scoring system. You got nine, you probably got EDS. And so, why do you need to know that? Well, EDS patients frequently dislocate things, and they frequently have a lot of pain. Okay? EDS patients uh, also can have higher incidence of POTS, post-orthostatic tachycardic syndrome, probably because, in the percentage of them, they have a redundancy of, uh, of uh, vasculature of veins in the pelvic floor, which can also lead to pelvic floor pain but can also leave them uh, pooling down there when they stand up, the end result of which is they don't get enough brain, uh, blood to their brain. So, uh, and EDS patients typically genetically metabolize the hell out of anesthetic agents. So they typically need a whole bunch more pain med than the average bird because their metabolism, they're genetically set up to be able to eat this stuff. And that needs, that's extremely important to know about because if you need to go in for surgery and anesthesia, uh, if you're going to need uh, pain control, that needs to be factored into what's going on. Also, if you're going to have surgery, that needs to be factored on because you need a surgeon who actually understands EDS because that requires a little different surgical technique than for the rest of us. So EDS, grossly underdiagnosed. I had a, a, a young woman in the office uh, in her teens uh, and... Uh, took a look at her and I, I'm saying she's got EDS and the mother says no she doesn't and I said she absolutely does and I, ha I had her go through the Biden scale and she's scored 100% and mom's sitting there gap jaw why is mom so gap jaw and so insistent that she didn't mom's a pediatrician oh my goodness missed a diagnosis in her own child this is and it, it it's not unusual and so if we don't again if we don't think about the diagnosis we don't make the diagnosis does everybody have eds no but we have it, it's on the rule out list right yeah no, you don't have this we're good we're good we're good and you know what a new england journal did a fascinating study back in the 80s but it's it's still extremely important to keep in mind today the major flaw in medicine is narrowing our differential, that is the list of possible problems, way too quickly. So that if we think about, if we're not thinking about the potential problem, we don't, it kind of rolls off the list, and even if the symptoms and signs are there, we don't see it. We bypass it. And so, it's extremely important to, to if you will, use a Buddhist expression, when we meet patients, to meet them with child mind to meet them with an opening of going, okay, let me take in all the information that's here so I can start to make sense out of it and be able to put together a whole story about what's going on 
do the testing to rule in or rule out. I mean, part of my job is to make sure you, you don't have something you're going to die from. All right, so I need to make sure that's on my differential list as I'm doing that. But as I tell my students, I say, look, patient comes in with congestive heart failure. What do you do? Well, okay, congestive heart failure is pump failure. The heart stopped working properly. Why? Congestive heart failure is a symptom. It's not the diagnosis. It's a symptom of pump failure. Why did the pump fail? Well, did the patient have a heart attack? Has the patient got a viral infection of the heart? You start to start back up and go through the list of what the problem is. One of my patients went into congestive heart failure because of COVID. Mm, yeah, I've heard that. Wow. So you ha- if you don't think about it, if you don't step back and go, okay, what happened here? Why, how did we get from A to B? People don't, you know, aside from buildings falling on people, people generally don't go from 100% healthy to disabled. It's not what happens. And so how did we get from, from A to B to C to D? And that means sitting and taking the time for the story. Genetics still has a role to play. We're increasingly going to see uh, how genetics is going to inform us. One of the things we've seen genetically, interestingly enough, is trauma passed on from Holocaust survivors. We see it in the genes. And so that leads to a certain susceptibility in terms of development of PTSD. It also may lead to a certain resiliency in the system that makes you potentially uh, more immune from developing that level of trauma. Because we have people who, you know, are involved in horrific situations and don't develop PTSD. And we have people who witness a car accident and do. Yeah. I know. It's, oh my gosh. So do you work with people out of state? Yes. <laughs> oh my we God. work with people around the, we work with people around the country. Oh, my, uh, my malpractice insurer insists that I'm licensed in every state that I practice, that I see people in. So where they're sitting is where they haven't caught up to telemedicine yet, but they will. Uh, so I've got licenses in about 18 different states right now uh, where I'm working with people around the country. But the real challenge here and the real, my, my mission here is educate the patients, educate more docs, get research done so that all of these patients are getting the care they need and deserve so that they're being listened to, they're being seen, heard, respected. And that has to change, and there's only one of me. So the issue is, how do we multiply what we know here, what we've learned here? Okay, And in writing the book, by the way, the book had well north of a thousand uh, references, Pump Palbet, just randomly websites, but all of it was peer-reviewed journals. We didn't put all the references in the book, because that would have made the book twice as long. We did put about 400 of them in the book. Uh, so there's a lot of documentation there as to what the problem is and that there's a medical literature that completely supports this. My wife is now extremely pleased that those have subsequently been uh, filed and put away because I had literally stacks of these papers sitting around the house <laughs> that were several feet high because I need paper when I'm, when I'm reading and doing my work. <laughs> but. But thank God for medical students who came in and scanned them and properly properly put them into EndNote. And <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Kaplan, you are so amazing. I mean, I'm Very just so impressed with the work you're doing. Is there anything you want to add? And you're always welcome back. And I'm going to have to make an appointment. <laughs> well, <laughs> I'd love to see you. And if I can offer any help, I would be delighted. Uh I want people to read the book. I, uh, you know, Foundation for Total Recovery is the other thing, brainonfire.org. That's the foundation. The entire conference that we held in, uh, in February this year is available uh, on the foundation website. And so people can go there. There's a small fee associated with being able to view the conference. Your physician can view the conference and get uh, continuing medical education credit for it. Uh, and we're also working to publish some of the proceedings from that accomplished in the medical journal because we're working to educate our, our colleagues. They need to know this. We need to, we need to do better. Uh, and that's the whole goal here. So getting everything out to the public that I possibly can, speaking on programs such as yours, uh, getting the book out and getting that into as many people's hands as possible so that they can start to help themselves, educate their colleagues, uh, their physicians, educating my colleagues in terms of holding medical conferences and also doing research uh, in terms of 
getting greater clarity because we need to do this better. If I could help everybody, I'd be done. We're, we're wrapped. I can't, unfortunately. So we still have more to learn. We still have uh, more opportunities to figure out how to get people better. And that's the goal here. Wow. Well, the book again, Why Are You Still Sick? Infections That Trigger Autoimmunity and What You Can Do About It. Dr. Gary Kaplan, give us the website again. So the website for the foundation is brainonfire.org. Our website is Kaplan Clinic, K-A-P-L-A-N Clinic, uh, .com. Okay. And are you on social media at all? Well, we have, uh, I have people doing Facebook and, and Twitter and yes, so we are also on, on, on social media. I generally don't do a lot of that because I actually read an article that said teenagers spend 20 hours a week on social media. That's a half-time job. <laughs> it is sad. That, that, that's the downside. But I don't know. I mean, we should talk. I'd love to do some TikToks for you. I, I think what you're doing is incredible and we need to get the word out. So I want to thank you. Everyone get this book. It is just... A- Why you are still sick and how and how you can stop. Why am I still sick? Damn it. We want you healthy, vital. We want you thriving. Yes. Uh, well, everybody, be sure to follow me on TikTok and Instagram and Twitter at Lisa Davis MPH and keep coming back to Health Power. Well, that's it for our show today. Thank you so much for listening. We appreciate you and we would appreciate it if you could please rate and review and leave a comment because the more you engage with our podcast, the more you will find it and help other people find it wherever they listen to their podcast. So be sure to follow us. I'm at Andrea Donsky and at Naturally Savvy and Lisa at Lisa Davis MPH. Thank you so much. And please share this episode because the more you share shows you care. We'll see you next time.